I first heard Personville called Poisonville by a red-headed mucker named Hickey Dewey in the big ship in Butte. He also called his shirt a shoit. I didn't think anything of what he'd done to the city's name. Later, I heard men who could manage their R's give it the same pronunciation. I still didn't see anything in it, but the meaningless sort of humor used to make Richardsnary the thieves' word for dictionary. A few years later, I went to Personville and learned better. Using one of the phones in the station, I called the Herald, asked for Donald Wilson, and told him I had arrived. Will you come to my house at ten this evening? He had a pleasantly crisp voice. It's 2101 Mountain Boulevard. Take a Broadway car, get off at Laurel Avenue, and walk two blocks west. I promised to do that. And then I rode up to the Great Western Hotel, dumped my bags, and went out to look at the city. The city wasn't pretty. Most of its builders had gone in for gaudiness. Maybe they had been successful at first. Since then, the smelters, whose brick stacks stuck up tall against a gloomy mountain to the south, had yellow-smoked everything into uniform dinginess. The result was an ugly city of 40,000 people set in an ugly notch between two ugly mountains that had all been dirtied up by mining. Spread over this was a grimy sky that looked as if it had come out of the smelter stacks. This is Dark and Stormy Nights, the podcast where we read the first page, and only the first page, of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Ben Blackberg. And I'm your other host, Ben LeBate. And tonight's book is Red Harvest by Dashiell Hammett, published in 1929. And our guest tonight is Wendy Wagner. Welcome. Hey! I should note, uh, this book was suggested by a friend of the show, Coffin Ed. Hi, Ed. Uh, so, to start... Uh, have either of you read this book before, or any other Dashiell Hammett? No, none. I I feel like I may have read a Dashiell Hammett. I have this problem where I get a lot of the classic noir authors confused, yeah, even though when yeah. you're, when you're in it, they're very distinct. Like, I read Dashiell Hammett, or have I mostly just read other guy whose name just totally escaped me? Raymond Chandler. Yes, Raymond Chandler. And I've definitely read Raymond Chandler. I just don't know if I snuck a hammock in there somewhere along the way. I don't think I've ever actually read any of the original, like, big, hard-boiled writers. Like, none of them. I've read uh, later stuff, like um, Leonard Elroy, but who's kind of, you know, no, that's not his last name, Elmore, Leonard M. Elmore. Um, And he's really sort of, like, doing, like, the neo-noir stuff that's kind of, like, you know, inspired by what Chandler and Hammett were doing. But yeah, I've never read any of those guys and they are really on my list of folks to check out. So that's one reason I was excited that we're going to talk about Red Harvest because like, oh, I want to hear more about him. Yeah, the thing that really delighted me when I started reading this like classic noir stuff is that it all sounds just like the parodies people do of it. Like... From the voices to the like really weird metaphors that people do. Like when people are like, you know, she had legs that went up to the sky or whatever. And it's all just like that, but it's all really good. Like these guys established a style and actually made it work in a way that like lives on in parody. Yeah. Like 
they're kind of like the the cubists of of <laughs> books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like the idea of like uh, some some suburban parent coming into a bookstore and saying like, ah, well, like what's so special? My kindergartner could do this. <laughs> like, exactly. Like, referring to you know the big sleep or something Um, i hope your kindergartner can't do that (laughs) like like what's so special like even the author didn't even know who murdered one of these characters like (laughs) like, my my kindergartner could yeah uh look at these red herrings yeah it is yeah i do love so i i just finished uh humorously enough uh an earlier book that we read the first page of was uh one of agatha christie's later Poirot novels, uh, okay. and I'm not uh, a big mystery reader, um, but I, I mean, I, I've read some cozy, I've read some, you know, I've read some cat mysteries in my day. Uh, uh, and, Excellent. You know, I mean, it is it is funny how people are just like, it's like, oh, I want a, someone to solve a mystery, but I also really like cupcakes. Like, like <laughs> can, can I combine these? And you're like, yes, yes, you can. Uh, like you can combine like almost any uh, niche interest with uh, with murder. That's right. Yeah, murder goes with everything. It's, yeah. it's like the literary black. Mm. Or, or or like, have you ever uh, read or seen the uh, the the CAD file mysteries? Yeah, I watched. I used to see it on PBS, you know. Yeah. But I, I I may have read the first book a long time ago. I know there, there's something just funny about like like I mean I, I guess someone could write a romance set in. Uh, what like 1130 uh, hmm. uh, Britain or something but like uh, like I don't know that that would sell as well as like a, a murder mystery uh, I just started actually reading a, a, a series of mysteries set in Imperial Rome nice uh, and it's just like like yeah no this is great like I love like like I get to learn about Rome and I uh, you know get to follow a, like a like an almost hard-boiled detective hmm. but uh Going back to my original question, uh, I have read this book, oh. uh, and I, I have read a lot of Hammett, and it, it's one of those things where, like, Hammett was writing before Chandler, yeah, and it's kind of funny because, like, Hammett has a lot of humor, and, like, you would almost expect, like, the straightforward version to come first, but I, I feel like, in some ways, like, Hammett is, like, playing with the genre because it, like, or the subgenre because, like, it almost doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Uh, right yeah uh but yeah hmm. well let's let's jump into the into the text yeah chapter one uh, a woman in green and a man in gray like even that chapter title that's you know like it it, it, it kind of seems like uh, there's, there's this one great line in uh maybe the big sleep i think where uh philip marlowe is uh wrestling with a woman for a gun or something mm-hmm. uh i can't i don't remember they're, they're they're fighting and the line says it's something like uh like she was strong with uh conviction or despair or maybe just strong <laughs> <laughs> and like that, that's a, a bad paraphrase but but there's something about that how like uh like i don't know like things some some things are just like unknowable or like you can only know the surface of them mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and, and i just love that this this chapter title is just like a woman in green and a man in gray like that's all that's all you get uh but then like that first line i mean that whole first paragraph is all like very uh very not chandler like it's very there's just a lot of like humor Mm. you know 
I first heard yeah. pers- Personville called Poisonville by a red-haired mucker named Hickey Dewey in the big ship in Butte. Like, uh, red-haired mucker is funny to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hickey Dewey, big ship. Butte. <laughs> like, like Butte is one of the funniest American cities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The big ship in Butte. Uh, uh, I don't have anything else to say about that other than like, like you, you, you kind of know you're in the hands of someone who's like going to do things intentionally here. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 But also that like that play on words that comes from that specific noir accent is it's interesting to see that in text where like we're so used to seeing it in like specifically probably at our age in cartoons right yeah <laughs> my choice it's like uh, on the edge of the good feathers uh uh-huh. from animaniacs <laughs> yeah but again like i, I don't know I'm, I'm just uh uh i will say uh, i've had a, 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 a very long day of phone calls so i'm probably going to be incoherent at some point uh mm-hmm. today uh, I probably stopped being coherent a long time ago, but like <laughs> this, this whole first paragraph is just like, like if you were writing this today, you would probably say like, you know, I first heard Persinville called Poisonville, you know, by, th- by this person, you know, and then go into a description of like how poisonous the town is. But like, uh, you know, Hammett just like stops you and is like, well, well, you know, let's, let's explore this whole like misunderstanding possibility or mm. like, how, how how people make jokes about dictionary uh, being Richardsonary. And I, I, it makes me really interested because, you know, I haven't read this book. I don't know what it's going to be like or what it's about, but I feel, you know, like I've been trained to think that like the first page is kind of a setup for like the, some kind of deeper meaning usually that's in the text. So immediately it's like, it makes me think that this is a story where confusion and misunderstanding and communication are going to be like really important, which I mean, I know we're not talking about the cover right now, but it's a to- that message is totally in contrast to the cover, which is, you know, like a tough guy with a gun kind of image. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's like I came to this work with preconceptions about like detectives and guys wearing fedoras and that first paragraph, like it gave me kind of that, like I assume a big ship is probably like a prison or something. Um, and, and like, there is like this toughness with a red haired mucker, but also, and like talking about thieves but it's also not what I was expecting. And so for me, this first paragraph was like a total delight. Mm. You know, I think I, I, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it until you said it, but like, like the, the contrast between like Hickey Dewey who calls his shirt a short and Donald Wilson, who speaks in a, a pleasantly crisp voice. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yeah. It's like, you're, you know, no, you're I, I totally, I, I mean, I've read this book. I don't actually recall it. Uh, uh, beyond like a few a few lines here and there, but like, there it does totally seem to be something about like how people communicate and whether they talk, and even I mean even that front cover that front cover, jeez Louise. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I mean, there are back covers too. <laughs> uh, then we're gonna cut this out, right? When I cut out, uh, I don't edit this. Uh, but there, there's something about like the cover that we're looking at, which is clearly not like the original, but you know uh 
after after this genre has uh, obtained some respectability. But there's something about like the half of it being a gun and half of it kind of focusing on a guy's mouth, mm-hmm. where like I, I almost feel like there is something there about like like speech and violence are going to be tied up here mm-hmm. in, a, yep. in a way. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, the other thing that I think he's doing in this first paragraph that's really neat is establishing the idea that like that the perspective of a local is different from the perspective of someone from the outside because he goes through two different iterations of like assuming that they're calling the city poisonville as some sort of a goof or an accent thing and then once he gets there and sees it he's like oh oh there's a reason Mm-hmm. yeah and like i think particularly in noir that's that's very much a thing of like outside perspective versus inside perspective and not being able to know what's going on with this situation until you're in the shit yeah definitely it's definitely a genre that is a you know like personal experiences at its heart mm-hmm. and like you can't take anything for granted that people tell tell you or any kind of rules until you know you've got to make your own judgment about the world yeah and you can't be sure of anything unless you're looking directly at it yeah exactly yeah mm-hmm. yeah i can't remember who who pointed it out uh maybe it was um uh robin d laws uh the role-playing uh game designer and writer uh but there's something about especially in in uh in chandler with like philip marlowe's primary means of investigation is to like go to a place and then get beaten up mm-hmm. uh, or like possibly beat up a thug but like you know doesn't always get the best of it and like that's how he gets clues and there's something about like like in that way it is very experiential like you have to go and see for yourself even if like it costs you your health yeah or you you have to learn it like uh, on your body as the mm. the german phrase goes yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this is also very like uh I don't know if I want to say that like it's kind of cartoonish but like th- this is like, you know, turned up to 11, you know. Yeah. Like everything is dirty, everything is ugly. Accents are spelled out. You know, everything is dingy, you know, yellow, gloomy, ugly. Like this last paragraph. Mm. But like it it doesn't feel well, I, I don't know how, how, how y'all feel about this, but like, I don't feel like I know what Personville looks like outside. Out, like, if I were to try to tell you what Personville was, it would be like, uh, like a, a kind of a child's drawing, I think. Yeah. Right. Uh, at yeah. This point. Like character is conveyed, but structure is not. Right. Yeah. Like you, you have no idea. Like it's a town of. 40,000 people, but it's like, does it have a city square? Does it have a train line? Does it have, you know, like any parks? All you know is that it's ugly in an ugly setting with like ugly mountains, which really like, how are mountains ugly and gloomy, right? They're mountains. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely has like that, that quality of like, like you say, like you, you get the feeling like, like a kid draws a sun and puts a smile on the sun and you're like, oh, this is a happy sun, yeah. you know, but like, uh, Hammett draws a sun and it's like grimy, you know? Yeah. yeah. This is, uh, this is like the picture that's drawn in the movie to indicate that the child is possessed. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Yeah. It's pig pen's town, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It reminds me of there's there's a line in I want to say Cat's Cradle where Vonnegut says like what an ugly city whatever city like what an ugly city Utica is but what an ugly city every city is. Yeah. And this like immediately reminded me of that. <laughs> it definitely I felt like like at the focus of the ugliness is definitely like the smelting and the mining and it's more like the description what, what I come away with is more of a, a sense of his thoughts on mining than it is his thoughts on this town. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a town, but that's just sort of an aside. What it, what it is, is it's a mining town. That's what's important. Yeah. Like, like what he's seeing is what mining has done to this place. Yeah. And I suspect that what we're going to see is what mining has done to a lot of these people. Right. Yeah. And I don't get the sense that it's going to be a very upbeat experience. They didn't come mm-hmm. out of the mine full of dancing and joy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is funny, uh, just thinking about like you you know that, that joke about like oh like you don't you don't hate Mondays, you hate capitalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where it's like 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 is the city ugly or is like the are the mining companies, but like of course in well, I was going to say, of course, in noir, like, there isn't that sort of uh, social critique, but I think actually I'm wrong. Yeah, I think like, it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like one of the things about noir is that, like, society is uh, degraded in some ways uh, or fallen. Hmm. Uh, you know, there's this one. Um, oh, gosh. What's his name? Uh, uh, oh, gosh. There's this one noir movie. Uh, I think it's by Fritz Lang. Uh, and it's about a guy who gets like picked up wrongly for uh, being a vagabond, uh, and then the townspeople think that he's actually responsible for some terrible crime. So they try to lynch him, and they they they, they blow up the prison where he is. Uh, but he uh, is like thrown from the building. Uh, but everyone thinks that he's dead, and then like he starts. Uh, I think trying to kill or ruin the lives of all of the people who, uh, oh no, they, uh, uh, the, the people who lynched him are going up, uh, in, in, in a trial for his death, mm. uh, especially after it's proved that he was actually innocent of everything. Um, and there's something about like, uh, like I, 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 I just remember that noir movie, even though it's like not one of the, the, the top uh, ones that you, people usually think about because like it, it does point its finger at like society. Like it's not like, like oh, there's one serial killer. It's just like all of these this mob of people like tried to kill this guy. Yeah, and like whether or not you know they are charged for it, like it is something wrong with the way we live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels to me like I mean I I haven't seen a ton of noir films. I haven't read a ton of noir stories. Mostly, what I know about it comes from you know neo noir stuff like Chinatown. But it's, it definitely feels like the sense is that these crimes wouldn't be happening in a society that was more functional, you know. Mm. And Dash Lamo, he was a communist, you know. He, yeah, he was actually a member of the Communist Party. Mm. Uh, so he definitely, like, knew that society stunk. <laughs> Capitalism was the worst. Mm. Yeah. I don't think that was, like, the focus of his books, but... 
I'm sure he was delighted to paint giant mining companies with every ugly yellow tool in his box. Yeah. Yeah. I I have the feeling that the uh, Chris speaking Donald Wilson is uh, going to turn out to be uh, well healed and uh, guilty of some terrible crimes. Mm -hmm. I feel that too. Yeah. And it's funny that I only have that as a feeling and I've read this book, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, sorry. The the movie I was trying to remember was uh, Fury. Uh, 1936 with spencer tracy oh i'll have to check it out i love him yeah is there uh i don't know so Mm -hmm. we all like this page Mm -hmm. i think we all agree that like (laughs) it's pretty clear why uh parody of this became a thing yeah yeah uh do you so do do you actually think you might uh, go off and read this at some point wendy i feel really really drawn into it i definitely want to get it from the library yeah, this this makes me want to go on another noir kick. Because, uh, like, the thing that, like, especially about these early sort of foundation noir writers is that for all the, like, dinge and dourness of it, there's a joy in the writing, like, in those accents and weird metaphors and constant plays on words that, like, you don't see in things that are written in a more straightforward fashion. Uh, and it's always an interesting contrast to me. And whenever I encounter him, I'm like, oh, I should just go dive into some of this stuff. So I'm really into it. Yeah, I feel like this, there's like a really interesting energy to the voice um, that just really pulls you along and feels extremely compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's why I, when I got done reading this page, I was like, I want to read the rest of this book. How cool. Yeah. Yeah, like... Yeah, because the thing about a a good noir detective is like they look on the surface like a lot of extremely generic modern action crime heroes, but they always have a voice that's like distinct and interesting and has perspective that you don't usually get with those more modern versions. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, it's an interesting. I mean, like. We, I don't know that we said this exactly, but the the detective is uh, an outsider uh, mm-hmm. uh, in in many ways, like either you know class or here geographically, or even just like tonally, right? Yep. They are the yeah. like sarcastic. It's their function. Yeah. Um, uh, and I know I had a point beyond that. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I mean, I guess we could compare that with like uh, Miss Marple, who's very much an insider uh mm. but uh no that, that's not where i was gonna go uh yeah no it's gone hmm. <laughs> yeah but it's funny i'm just also thinking like so this is 1929 which is the same year that uh lovecraft publishes the the dunwich horror hmm. yeah which also starts with like just a description of a place in north central massachusetts but it also has a very different feeling yeah kind of uh, it is almost unbelievable to think that Dunwich Horror and and this book are being published at the same time. Yeah. And I feel separated by islands of time. (laughs) An entire universe of experience. Yeah, like that's another thing that always sort of surprises me when I go to these. They feel extremely modern. Yeah. In ways that like so many of their, even their contemporaries like Lovecraft and a bunch of others just don't. And like I'm very curious about like yeah why that is like what the the sort of literary lineage is 
that puts these in the place where they are. But I have no idea. Is, is crime just eternal? Yeah, or is it that crime requires a much more like, not quite realistic, but like up close voice? That's true, too. That's another thing about this voice. It definitely feels very like close third, which is what almost everything we read nowadays is written in. Whereas, you know, there's so much more, if not omniscient, at least very removed stuff that was published back then. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that is an interesting thought. Like, yeah. why are these so close? Is it because it's crime? Is it because it's, what's the deal, yo? Yeah. Yeah. Or even, I mean, thinking about like the, the, the framing device uh, of like, you know, uh, like this is a story that I once heard or I, you know, I, I found these notes in my, my uncle's, mm-hmm. <laughs> like my, 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 my dead uncle who died in a sanitarium. Uh, right. left behind <laughs> these strange pages like we're we're kind of like even removed a little bit from from those people whereas mm-hmm. here we're just like like uh w- like we are in you know the the continental ops uh point of view yeah, yeah. which is funny also just because like uh like so uh as opposed to chandler who has his you know detective and who's very like conscious about like you know the like the the famous line uh down these mean streets, uh, a man must go who's not himself mean, et cetera, et cetera. Like, there's a whole mm-hmm. thing about like, like the detective is a noble knight in a degraded time. Uh, whereas, whereas for Hammett, like the 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 detective is just like just a schmuck who is like one step ahead of other people. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it's just a job for him. Which I guess also brings us back to the whole like the the communist uh, versus society angle. And I think that notion of it just being a job is like kind of a cool thing about the character, right? It's like anytime you could quit your job and just be done with it, to what keeps you doing it? Particularly when people are beating you up and chasing you with guns and stuff like that. Like, what is it about you that sees that job through? Mm-hmm. That makes those characters really interesting, I think. In a way that just like a straight up like noble hero type isn't always interesting. Or even like a cop who's part of an organization and has like support structures and all that stuff. Right, yeah. Whereas the detective is alone. Yeah, he doesn't have a pension. He doesn't have like sick leave. He doesn't have a partner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one would notice if he died and no one would notice if he walked away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it's always like sort of an existential calling almost to these kinds of characters who are like, they do it because they do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the Continental Op in particular is not a character that like we ever learn about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he... I, not to put too fine a point on it, like his name is his job. Mm. Uh, well. like he, he's the he's the operative of the the continental agency or something. I can't remember exactly, but like that's all. Like I I didn't even remember that this was a continental op book until you're know, like looking at the page and being oh yeah I guess it is like because like he, again he he's just like uh, a sarcastic point of view mm-hmm. to go through. There's also I think there's kind of a sense. 
Uh, and maybe this is part of what lends it that feeling of modernity that you don't get in like Lovecraft or, you know, Evelyn Ball. There is like a sense with this story. It's very cinematic, right? Like mm. it's definitely, it's got this point of, I mean, books have a point of view, but it's kind of different from how you like point the camera at things and create views and move it through the scene. And I feel like it moves the writing kind of moves like a movie, you know, like as you read this, you can easily imagine like adapting it and stuff like that. Um, yeah. That's something that I think maybe came up a little bit when we talked about who censored Roger rabbit, um, oddly enough, but like the way that noir is married to cinema in some very particular ways. Yeah. Uh, which, which may might answer some of our questions about the way that the language is so modern. Um, like particularly since a lot of it ends up taking place in Hollywood, even though this doesn't mm-hmm. but like, there's something that's fundamentally intertwined between the, the prose and, and the film. Yeah. That's super interesting to think about. I want to go back and listen to that episode, the podcast <laughs> <laughs> available on the feed now. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's also funny. I was, I was going to say just, uh, I don't recall exactly, but, this might take place in the Pacific Northwest. Right. Like I, I don't, I don't even think it's. Uh, is am I am I imagining things or is the Great Western Hotel the name of the hotel in Twin Peaks? That's the Great Northern Hotel. Great Northern Hotel. <laughs> okay. But I could see that simmering <laughs> in the back of Winch's head. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Hm. Also, just a, uh, 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 just that title. Also, Red Harvest. Right. Um, like, yeah. I love it because it's like, wow, so meaningful. And then you think about it and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, do we like it, it? It feels like it's playing on some other like, oh, like we usually talk about like, oh, green harvests or just like, it's like, no, we don't. We just talk about harvests. But like red harvest, of course, brings up blood. And yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, like it. it is not a, a subtle title, but it, no. Yes. Yeah. That, that's all I want to say. It's not a subtle title, but I love it. <laughs> but I yeah. like it. I like yeah. it a lot. Yeah. And you can't help but think of, you know, the line, you shall reap as you sow kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. You see a title like Red Harvest, you're like, ooh. Uh, yeah, like. Nothing good. Yeah, it's a title that really informs the text when you come to it. Like, you know, we start out, you know, talking about accents and cities, but like knowing that the thing that you're about to read is called Red Harvest. Hmm. really colors uh pardon that pun the the perspective <laughs> that you have in reading it right uh so uh, we don't do any research before <laughs> uh, correct w- we go on air uh i just wanted to point out something i, I saw hmm? so this was originally serialized in in black mask magazine hmm. um, okay which also uh i i just f- like recently finished an audiobook that was just a random collection of black mask stories and like not not necessarily famous ones or by famous authors uh and it's kind of curious to see like i mean of course like hammett has survived and like chandler has survived Mm. but uh um i don't know i i I, i'm not sure i'd want to say that like all noir uh is has like a modern sensibility uh necessarily mm. uh so like some some stories that get published in magazines uh you know they might be some nice entertainment uh or or not uh but 
they may not stand the test of time, which I, I realize is a funny thing, uh, talking to, uh, an editor of a, uh, of a magazine. Uh, <laughs> well, it's like, you just think about, we know HP Lovecraft, but mm-hmm. how many other people did, uh, Weird Tales publish, you know? And it, yeah, like totally like that. You get that, you know, you're like, oh, like here's a collection of Seabury Quinn. And you're like, uh, who? what? Like, <laughs> It's like, oh no, this was, but, uh, what I wanted to really read was, uh, the, so it was serialized in four parts and the titles are part one, the cleansing of Poisonville, which I don't know. It's just like so menacing. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, part two, crime wanted male or female. Hmm. I don't really have anything to say about that one. Uh, uh, part three is simply dynamite, (laughs) uh, feels a little underwhelming. Uh, but part four, I think, makes up for it. The 19th murder. Ooh. Just like, Ooh. Like, that's wow. a lot of murders. That's, that's a good one. It's a veritable harvest. <laughs> yes. Oh. So, like, yeah, yeah. It is just curious how, like, like, oh, yeah, like, you can't, you can't hit all of them out of, out of the park, but, like. It just makes you wonder, too. It's like, um, when he brought this work to the table, like did he have an idea for those titles of the sections or like how much input did his editor have you know yeah it's like they probably were like well we could call this red harvest part one part two part three but that i don't know if that's going to sell issues we should come up with something more interesting Mm -hmm. because as an editor i know that like i will often say like this title could be a little more exciting. You mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I do remember when I was, when I was slush reading for, uh, God, was I slush reading for, for light speed? I can't remember. Uh, uh, at one point, like this, this one story that I read that I was like, I, I'd like, like, you know, uh, like I was so excited that I liked a story enough to like market as like, yeah. like someone, someone higher than me should read this. Uh, which did not happen too often. And then actually, I think, uh, uh, it was, it was John, uh, Joseph Adams, uh, liked it also. But like, oh. I remember talking to him about like, like, yeah, this title is not good. And yet <laughs> we can't think of a better title. Uh, and I don't actually remember what it went to print with, but, uh, yeah. It is interesting to think about like that give and take. There, there, there was one essay I remember reading in a, a critical study of science fiction that was talking about like like new wave versus like the pulp era from before mm. and the author had uncovered some like original titles for stories and they were th- like they, these were titles from like the the pulp era and they sounded like as crazy as like the the new wave era titles you know and then he and then he, he compared the like this is the one like that the author had and like this is what it went to print with and it's like oh yeah like they kind of you know made it a little more normal, a little more, <laughs> yeah. But yes, titles are hard. Titles are hard, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, whenever I questioned that, I remembered that it was originally, the book was originally called Catch 11. <laughs> <laughs> Small note, apparently this takes place in Montana. Okay. Ah, that makes sense. It's a reference to Butte. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, also, apparently there's at least a theory that uh, this novel was the inspiration for Yojimbo. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Which does make a lot of, I mean, I haven't read this, but I have seen Yojimbo and that does like, that's got a very noir sensibility. Mm-hmm. I want, uh, it's funny. Cause like, so 
wait, correct me. Uh, Yojimbo then becomes uh, a fistful of dollars. Uh, that might be true. Uh, yes. Yes. The <laughs> Unofficially remade by Sergio Leone. Wow. But it is funny to think about how this, you know, like, we, you know, we, we've been talking about this as like, it, it feels so noir. Uh, and yet like the, there, there's, there's something transposable about like the, the plot or mm-hmm. the character of like the outsider coming into uh, a battle in a small town. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. There's, there's a certain interesting way that you can transpose like noir plots to samurai plots to Western plots that like the plots line up perfectly, but mm-hmm. the, the dressing is so important to the genre and the themes that the stories come out completely different. Yeah. I wonder, well, well, we'll have to, uh, do a spinoff podcast mm-hmm. where we just track down stories or we track down this story wherever it's used and compare it. Uh, that'd be pretty cool. Oh, oh man. Do, do, do either of you have any urge to write any noir? Well, I just, Finished writing a short story for a science fiction noir anthology. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I don't know how the story turned out, but you know, mm. that's that's okay. <laughs> does, does anyone have any other uh, thoughts uh, about this page or this book? I don't think so. I'm just excited to read it. Yeah. Yeah. Generally, I think it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I do love, I mean, uh, you know, I, I had the location wrong, uh, but like, I, as you pointed out, Vin, like, uh, like Hollywood and specifically LA is so tied up with noir that like, I always kind of like, uh, noirs elsewhere, you know, like the small mm-hmm. town, you know, red, red rock West or blood simple. Yeah. Sort of just like take it out of LA. Um, uh, but yeah, and again, it's kind of funny that like, I think of that as the the variation or the subversion of the genre when here Hammett is like founding the genre, like outside of LA. Yeah. Oh man. Now I want to read it too. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> well, this time know, I'll people, remember it. The people who have to create the genre, they do whatever they like. It's the people that follow behind that, like really codify it, you know, mm-hmm. they kind of pick up on like the, the big themes and pull them into like particular rugs mm-hmm. or, or get, uh, dinged by readers for, uh, diverging too much right yeah from, from the genre that like maybe didn't exist uh too long ago <laughs> yeah so Wendy, where can people find you and your stuff well um my website is winniewoohoo.com i uh, and i'm always on twitter at wn wagner and uh I, i'm in the I, I run the magazine nightmare magazine so good times <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Dark and Stormy Nights. I've been your host, Vin LeBate, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity. You can find the games that I write at mrreciprocity.itch.io, and you can find my other podcast, The Chimera, at thechimera.space or on Twitter at ChimeraPod or on your podcast app of choice. And I've been your other host, Ben Blatberg. You can find me on Twitter at InCatastrophe. For show updates, 
Follow Dark Knights Reads on Twitter or visit darknightsreads.com and we'll meet you back here next week. Weather permitting.